Thank, Thank you. you very much, David. Uh, an excellent session. So we're drawing towards the close. The penultimate session is about to begin. And as we can see, that there are so many connotations and angles within retirement. It's both a financial decision, but it's also so much about your community, about your physical and your mental health. It's about planning. It's about having goals. And to really cover these you know, salient comments, uh, we're delighted to invite Nicolette Rubinstein. Now, she's a director of a number of organizations, including SuperEd, UniSuper, sorry, Uni Super, One Path Insurance, and Zurich Australia. She's also helping the Connexus Institute as a director. So we're delighted to welcome Nicolette Rubenstein. Thank you, Lawrence. Um, and what a pleasure to be here, and, and well done to everyone at Connexus for pulling off this uh, digital conference. Um, so, as Lawrence said, I'm here to talk about. Uh, um, happy aging, effectively. And uh, the genesis of this presentation, and I'll go to my slides, please. Thank you. Uh, the genesis of this presentation was actually about nine years ago. And um, I was doing the general manager of retirement role at Colonial First State uh, CBA and immersing myself in all things retirement. And as part of that, I did, I actually did a few longevity calculators um, predictions, and they predicted that I was going to live to 100. And that was actually a big shock to me, and I actually found it quite uh, disturbing. And funnily enough, I redid it for the purposes of this uh, slide uh, screenshot, and now it's predicting that I'm going to live to 104. Uh, so my age, 50, plus the 54 years that you can see on the slide. Um, I've also given you a number of different calculators down there in case every, anyone wants to do this at, at home. So the funny thing is, it shouldn't have been a surprise to me. Uh, I'm an actuary. I've worked in retirement and insurance my whole life. Um, I know about increasing longevity. I know that a large proportion of white-collar workers will live into their 90s. But I think uh, implicitly or subconsciously, I had assumed that I would live as long as my grandmothers, who had both died in their late 80s. So that extra 10 years or so uh, was a big surprise. Um, so this presentation is really about that, I think it's both an intellectual journey and an emotional journey. To, um, and now I have completely embraced living to 100. I'm actually looking forward to living to 100 and I actually expect uh, to live to 100. So I think like many of you watching, that I've applied a very much a financial lens to the question of ageing and retirement. I've been very focused on how much I need, how long it's going to last, uh, what products to use, what income uh, I need. And it was only when I did that calculator or those calculators that I really began to focus on this question of, well, what does happy ageing uh, actually mean? Uh, and these guys obviously think that they've figured it out. Uh, a few um, familiar faces there. Uh, that's my only joke of the presentation, by the way, so <laughs> enjoy it. But in all seriousness, I actually wanted to start the presentation with a bit of a visual on what does happy ageing look like. And funnily enough, I found this in some ABC co coverage of the franking credit issue uh, last year. Cruising is also on the agenda of self-funded retirees Jim Pembroke and his partner Therese Otago. Therese and I have a little less than $1.2 million in uh, our self-managed super fund. We have uh, the boat here 
pretty modest 1986 timber boat. We have a, a imported Japanese van, a camper van that we use and that's it. They're our assets. We don't own any uh, property at all. We don't have a house. Um, we've chosen to uh, use our super to fund this lifestyle. Jim and Therese are in a similar financial position to Steve and Linda Taylor, but their opinion is vastly different. They support Labor's changes, despite their $8,000 per year in cash refunds, helping fund their life at sea. When I thought about it, I realised that it was something that I did not earn. It was something that they were giving me just for owning shares. I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, it wasn't necessary. The progressive voters say the money can be... Uh, so I want you to put aside the politics of, of that, that um, and focus on the fact that Jim is physically well uh, and active. Uh, he is financially secure. Uh, he has a partner and they seem happy together. They're doing things together. Um, they are living their dream. They've got the yacht and the camper van. And Probably uh, more importantly, uh, he's got this concern for the greater good. And I'm going to come back to that concept of uh, generativity uh, later. So along the way, I, I guess I've realised there was a few sort of myths or misconceptions in my own mind. Uh, one of them was that happiness uh, very much depends on financial well-being in retirement. And it turns out that money has relatively little to do with successful ageing. Uh, the second thing I thought was that your longevity was largely driven by your genetics and hence my grandmother example. Uh, and I also thought that diet and exercise were, were really critical to uh, living, living to 100. So let's look at the fact base and the, the, the truth about happy ageing is you actually need to get to retirement uh, and beyond to have happy ageing. So I am going to spend a little bit at the beginning about life expectancy. And uh, as I mentioned, the first surprise to me is how little of our longevity is actually driven by genetics. And it's only really about a quarter of our lifespan that is driven uh, by genetics. Um, so our lifespan is actually largely driven by environmental factors. So what are those environmental factors? Uh, the first one is income, and I thought that this was the best way of displaying that uh, GDP per capita for different countries versus life expectancy. And you can see the strong relationship between the two, but you can also see that the curve flattens out considerably, uh, suggesting that increasing levels of income don't lead to ever everlasting increasing uh, levels of longevity, that there's something else going on. And I will come later to the fact that uh, more recent data suggests that it's actually education levels, not income that are better predictors uh, of longevity. So some of the other environmental factors are things like diet, exercise, smoking, alcohol. And this is quite a recent study that's been released. Uh, and I really like this study because uh, firstly, it focuses on quality life expectancy. So qu quality I'm using as a proxy for happy, happy but it's uh, uh, life expectancy free of cardiovascular disease, cancer, uh, and diabetes. And this, the second thing about this study is it combines all those factors into one measure. Uh, and the way to do this, it, there's five low-risk factors, and I know that we're all here to think about our members and our financial planning clients, but you can do this test on yourself. 
the first thing is, uh, and give yourselves a point for each one you can answer yes to. Uh, so, uh, are, have you never smoked? Uh, have you got a BMI between 18 and 25? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't manage to tick that one. Um, do you do physical activity for 30, at least 30 minutes a day? Uh, is your alcohol consumption uh, uh, one standard drink for a woman and two st standard drinks a day for a man? And the last one is, is your diet quality in the top 40% of the population? And if you can tick four or five of those, then uh, for a woman, your life expectancy is about 11 years lo longer. And for a man, it's about eight years longer. And, you know, when I looked at those numbers, I thought, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I'd like that. But it's probably not as long as I actually thought uh, it would be. And this study actually reminded me of my brother. Uh, my brother applied for life insurance about four years ago. And it was him and my sister applied at the same time as part of a family business for key, life, uh, key man life insurance. Um, and my sister's a couple of years younger than my brother, but my brother's life insurance premium uh, came out at about four times that of my sister. And it turns out that my brother was diabetic at the time. He was age 46. Uh, 125 kilograms uh, and a smoker. So he didn't tick any of those uh, uh, low risk factors. And the insurance assessor said to him, you will be lucky to see uh, your children graduate high school. And it was interesting because that insurance assessor had a bigger impact on my brother uh, than any other medical professional ever has. And we've had a family GP uh, for decades. Uh, so, uh, you know, fr from then on my brother sort of uh, changed its ways. So those are the more that some of the harder uh, factors, but clearly there's a lot more going on if, if I'm going to live to 100. Uh, there's more in this sort of recipe. There's a part of it that's missing. So one of the um, facts that's now well established is this, this um, happiness smile. Uh, that we have the lowest parts of our happiness in our sort of 45 to 55. Um, now, pleasingly, instead of, you know, decaying as we get older from 50, we actually our happiness uh, increases. So that's kind of good news that we've got a, a bit of uh, tailwinds there. And I like this study because it actually, it's a World Economic Forum one and it overlays seven different studies and shows a similar smile um, structure. Uh, and it's been shown to be consistent across different countries and cultures, uh, and even across apes. Uh, another thing that we um, uh, know about retirement is what people are looking forward to and what they manage to achieve in retirement. Uh, and this was uh, a good HSBC study that captured that. And uh, if you look at the blue uh, bars at the bottom, you can see that a lot of people manage to achieve uh, time with family and friends, hobbies, gardening, home improvement, and also a bit of travel. What they don't manage to achieve is some of the more expensive items like extensive travel and buying a new item. And there's some things in this uh, that study that are sort of downright optimistic, I think, or ambitious, uh, writing a book, starting a business, um, learning a new language. 
But it was actually this book by Ellen Langer that really opened my eyes to how much about ageing is going on in our heads. And Ellen Langer is uh, a professor of psychology at Harvard. Uh, and what she talks about ageing is it's a lot about our thinking, uh, it's a lot about our expectations, and it's a lot about the language uh, that we use. And as actuaries, we actually know a lot of this stuff because we do see spikes in mortality when people retire, um, when they hit a certain age, and when they lose uh, a loved one. But she presents, you know, some very compelling experiments to show how much is going on in our mind. And one of them was just a simple pot plant experiment of giving a whole lot of people in an old age home a pot plant uh, and asking them to look after it. And then a control group who didn't get the pot plant. And the people with the pot plant have longer life expectancy on average uh, and better health outcomes. Uh, but the, the study that she's most famous one is the, called the counterclockwise study, which uh, she takes a group of elderly men and she recreates 1959 uh, for a week uh, for them. Uh, and uh, she recreates clothing and uh, what it looks like and the music. Uh, and um, what it showed was that those men had improvements in their hearing, memory, dexterity, appetite, uh, and general well-being. Uh, and another, what she also talks about in the book is um, the benefits of being having a younger partner, having younger friends, um, and even the benefits of plastic surgery. Uh, you know, anything that you know makes you feel uh, younger. Interestingly. But it, it's really this Harvard study that I think gives us. Um, kind of a lot of depth of insight into this, into what else is going on. And th this Harvard study, a longitudinal study, is quite famous now because the fourth director of the study, Robert Waldinger, has actually done a very famous TED talk uh, on happiness. But interestingly, the third director of the, the study was a guy called George Valent, uh, and he's the one who wrote this book on, on ageing well and really delved into the, the subject of ageing. So the study itself has now spanned uh, almost 80 years, and they followed three cohorts of people, a group of Harvard graduates, uh, a group of um, more socially disadvantaged men from the poorer parts of Boston, uh, and also uh, a group of intellectually gifted uh, women. Uh, and they... You know, clearly, it's not a representative sample, so we have to be you know, a bit careful, but it is such a rich study. They have tracked them and interviewed them throughout their lives. They have interviewed their parents. They have interviewed their children. Uh, they have tracked their medicals. And when they got to retirement, they asked them questions like, what was your most responsible job? What have you learned from your children? Uh, list up to five people that you're close to that you weren't close to before. Uh, what are your political preferences? Uh, what did you do in the first six weeks of retirement? Um, and, you know, at times the interviewers made quite poignant and even cutting comments, and I'll just read you one. The person was described as self-conscious, gloomy, pessimistic, avoids social contacts, colourless, unattractive in a dishrag kind of way. And they also categorised the participants. So for their early childhood, they, they categorised them according to whether they had a bleak childhood or whether they had a, a cherished childhood. In retirement, they categorised them according to the, whether they were happy well or sad sick. Uh, they also categorised uh, how well uh, self-adjusted uh, they were. 
And when they first started this study, they really thought that the secret to adult development was actually in your physical constitution, uh, in your intellectual ability, uh, and in your personality traits. Um, and I'll, I'm going to show you an excerpt from Robert's presentation now because it, it really shows you what they actually found. What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information that we've generated on these lives? Well, the lessons aren't about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. We've learned three big lessons about relationships. The first is that social connections are really good for us and that loneliness kills. It turns out that people who are more socially connected to family, to friends, to community are happier, they're physically healthier, and they live longer than people who are less well connected. And the experience of Sorry, I'll just cut it off there, but some very strong messages around relationships and loneliness. So just digging a bit more into this study and the work that George Valent III uh, director did. Um, so he uh, defined um, healthy aging as uh, being both contented and vigorous as well as not being sad or sick or dead. And he had to come up with a framework to assess happy aging. So he's used a, a psychological model there. And clearly that's subjective. And I've given you the picture there of the, the centenarian uh, lighting her cigarette uh, on her candles. But I just wanted to dig one of those six factors that he used in his psychological framework was generativity. And um, generativity is de uh, defined as care uh, for the next generation. And if you, and think back to our, you know, Jim on his yacht and, and how he cared for the broader community. Uh, but if you ask a group of 25-year-olds uh, what, what their wishes are, 92% uh, will talk about wishes for themselves. Uh, or sorry, 92% of their wishes will be about themselves. When you ask uh, a 65-year-old, approximately a third are about themselves, a third about their family, and a third about the broader community. Uh, and that's been described as a widening social radius. As we get older, we care more about the, the broader community. And it's a little bit like a stone in a pond that, uh, with concentric circles. And it turns out that generativity is a really good predictor, as you can see from this quote, uh, of happy aging. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of us, myself because I just wanted to summarize what the results of, and this is just that Harvard cohort. Uh, and you can see that about 27% were prematurely dead, uh, quite sadly. Um, there was, uh, uh, gosh, I can't even see that, 19% sad, sick, sorry, I can't see my own slides. Uh, another 27% were in a bit of a gray zone, didn't fit into a category. Uh, but only 28% of those Harvard graduates were happy well in retirement. And I found that a, a very worryingly low number. Uh, and what they looked at is what were the predictors of uh, successful aging. And firstly, what are not the predictors of successful aging? Uh, interestingly, ancestral longevity is not. It's a good predictor when you're 60, uh, but not by the time you're 75, it's not a good predictor. 
Cholesterol wasn't a good predictor. Stress levels, thank goodness, weren't a good predictor. Um, parental characteristics. Uh, so um, they, the, whether you had a cherished childhood or an unhappy childhood becomes less and less important as you get older. Childhood temperament, uh, not a good predictor, and vital effect and uh, general ease in social relationships. So uh, I thought that was quite good for all the awkward actuaries out, of, out there. We, we still can have a happy, uh, happy retirement. So what was a good uh, predictor? Uh, not being a smoker, same as before. Having an adaptive coping style, so rolling with the punches. Uh, absence of abuse of alcohol, and George's book talks a lot about the issues with alcoholism at age 50. Uh, this is where the relationships come, come in, but also healthy weight uh, and exercise. Uh, and finally, as I mentioned, years of education as opposed to income uh, levels were a good predictor. George also talks in his um, uh, book about four activities that make retirement rewarding. And I uh, really like these because they're activities that we can actually focus on. Um, the ability to make new friends because we lose our work friends and then we can actually lose the, the friends that, we, that might die uh, when we retire. The ability to play, uh, bridge, um, tennis, uh, golf. Uh, creativity, the more creative individuals were, were happier. Uh, and lifelong learning, those with a gusto for lifelong learning fared better. So the Harvard study really talks a lot about getting into your 70s and 80s, but I need to get to 100. And it's really this blue zone study that um, best summarizes uh, what is needed to get to 100. And this was a study done by Dan Wetner in conjunction with National Geographic. And they identified uh, five regions around the world that have a disproportionate number of centenarians. And just for example, one little village in Sardinia had 47 uh, centenarians. And pleasingly for me, a lot of these centenarians were living autonomously, they were healthy, uh, they were part of their community. And they summarise their results uh, in this pyramid. Um, and at the top is exercise, uh, not running marathons, but these people had a lot of physical activity as part of their day-to-day -day life. Secondly was their purpose. Uh, and um, I've come across this um, quite a bit, the purpose in life and, and particularly your purpose in retirement. And doctors uh, are actually the people that apparently retire worst because their identity is so much wrapped up uh, in their um, occupation. And I've just given you a couple of examples uh, here of what goes wrong when you don't have purpose in retirement. Uh, and Dan Wetner uh, talks very eloquently about this subject of ikigai, and I'll just play you There's that There's our work life where we're productive, and then one day, boom, we retire. And typically that is meant um, retiring to the easy chair or going down to Arizona to, to play golf. Uh, in the Okinawan language, there's not even a word for retirement. Instead, there's one word that imbues your entire life, and that word is ikigai. And roughly translated, it means the reason for which you wake up in the morning. And for this 102-year-old karate master, his ikigai was carrying forth this martial art 
for this hundred-year-old fisherman. It was continuing to catch fish for his family three times a week. And this is a question. The National Institute on Aging actually gave us a questionnaire to give these centenarians. And one of the questions, they were very culturally astute uh, people put the questionnaire. One of the questions was, what is your ikigai? They instantly knew why they woke up in the morning. For this 102-year-old woman, her ikigai uh, was simply her great, great, great granddaughter. Uh, two girls separated in age by 101 and a half years. And, and I asked her what it felt like uh, to hold a great, great, great granddaughter. And she put her head back and she said, it feels like leaping into heaven. I thought that was a... So I found her incredibly inspiring. Um, but the, the real secret of this Blue Zone study was actually the base of that pyramid, uh, which is the sense of belonging. Uh, and uh, belonging to uh, spiritually, uh, belonging to your community, and belonging to your family. So uh, just to conclude, I think this is the best way of, of concluding that good genes get you so far, but joy, joy is better. And these hard factors, uh, like your, the environmental factors, um, uh, only, you know, will get you so far, but it's the softer factors like the community, like the joy, like the relationships and like the purpose that are really uh, going to lead to happy ageing. And I did want to try and just bring it back to what that means for us. And I think from a super fun point of view, uh, to start to focus on some of the non-financial parts of, of ageing. Uh, and for financial planners, uh, to, to have a broader conversation and encourage certain behaviours. And I think back to my brother uh, and that, that insurance assessor. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely embracing living to 100. And uh, it's interesting for me that uh, a lot of these studies have really proven what the Buddhists have known forever, that the secret to living well and longer is eat half, walk double, laugh triple and love without measure. Uh, thank you very much.